0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC. Welcome to,
1: welcome to Mile
0: High Hockey Lab.
1: Mile High Hockey Lab. Hello and welcome to the Mile High Hockey Lab. My name is Adrian Hernandez. I am your host. I am here today with Evan, Ezra, Jackie, and Jacob of MileHighHockey.com. Thank all of you for joining me. We're here today to talk everything Colorado Avalanche. Um, While I have your attention, if you could subscribe, go give us a follow on Twitter. Go check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that good stuff. And if this doesn't uh, satiate your Colorado Avalanche appetite, you can head on over to MileHighHockey.com. We have plenty of articles, all work done by the panel you see here with me today. So let's drop the puck. And get right into today's episode. So the first thing I want to talk about, and I'll start with our managing editor, Evan himself. Let's recap a little bit the Carolina Hurricanes and Colorado Avalanche game. Kind of a weird one. heavy, Heavily outshot. But Pavel Fran, Francus, Francois, however you want to mess it up today, uh, Adrian. <laughs> he seemed to steal the show one way or another. Evan, tell me what you thought.
2: Yeah, first off, that was a great introduction. The the sophisticated language there. I like it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh very, very well done. Very in depth. Um, which is definitely what the Avalanche did not do. They did not play very in depth last night against the against the hurricanes. Um 15 shots on goal shouldn't win you hockey games. <laughs> um the you know, as I as I said on the Mile High Hockey Twitter, that that was the steal of the century. Yeah to have almost 50 shots put up on you and only have 15 yourselves and not only one, get a point and even force it to overtime, but then to get the extra point in overtime, you know, is great. I think it's one of those games you'll look back, back on, like later in the year of like, Holy crap. Like we'll definitely, we'll take those. Um, But yeah, I mean, obviously you, you wish the ads play better. And of course, you know, it'd be better if, you know, the injured, if the players aren't injured to hell and back. So, um, you know, we'll take what we'll take what we can get. Um, Huge shout out to Francis, obviously Um, huge, huge performance. Um, Bednar even said it after the game against the hurricanes last week on Saturday, that he deserved to start again against the hurricanes on Thursday night. And, you know, he proved himself once again. So, um while Georgiev I still is think the number one um for the Avs I I mean that's a good tandem to have right there are those two so um not worried back there at all yeah and just need Jacob his players to come back
1: Jacob what do you think I, I I'm starting to think that Frankie's way better than his record right now shows in terms of how he's performing behind his team do you think that's true
3: yeah, for sure. I mean, he's what, I just saw he's fifth in the NHL in, in save percentage. You know, granted everybody in, in front of him has played more games, right. so he's got a, a little bit of small sample bias helping him out there, but like there, you know, it's not it's not a myth as to why he why he's playing well, you know. He he does kind of look like a number one right now. It's it's too early to, you know, say that it's there there's any type of controversy here because you know, Georgie has played played really well too. But, you know, coming off of last night's game it does kind of seem like this is a situation where you just kind of play Frankie until until, you know, the wheels come off. If, if he's playing this well, you know, this is how a number one plays. And I think that, you know, you let him let him play until that that record, you know, has some regression to the mean. He starts piling up a lot more wins that reflects his, his save percentage.
1: Yeah. Ezra, do you think that's true? Do you, do you think you just ride the hot hand with Frankie if he if he keeps performing this way?
4: I mean, I think he's definitely earned it. I think it's hard to go away from Yogi at this point, he's too, also though, which is a, great.
1: Yeah.
4: Right. It's such a luxury that this this team has. I, I know early in the season with the weird schedule, it made sense to just ride one goalie, but now it's not going to make any sense. They're going to be playing a lot of games in not a lot of nights. So switching off or going two games, two, two, two games on, two games off or something like that could make a lot of sense. I'm curious to see how it plays out because definitely both these guys deserve the net.
1: Yeah, and Jackie, it's funny because I feel like for the last three or four years, the rhetoric, at least from management, has been, well, we want to be a team with a 1A and a 1B goalie type scenario. And as weird as it is, I think now that's more true than it has ever been in the time frame that they've been talking that way. Do you agree with that, Jackie?
0: Probably. The the best one was probably when they had Vorlamov and Grubauer, but um, (laughs) – Bednar does seem to like having a starter, though. Um, so while it's great that both are fantastic options right now, uh, I think he will still lean towards Gorgiev because he was brought in to be the starter, and he's certainly earned to keep that title. So uh, that's how I see it playing out moving forward.
1: Yeah, I think as we sit now, Gorgiev is for sure still the starter. I just wonder in terms of from game to game how the decision goes into who's going to start. Because even if Gorgiev is your starter, if you can get away with sheltering him in terms of minutes and games and starts, that's actually probably more ideal than throwing him to the wolves. Now, that kind of flies in the face of some of the opinions in hockey that say like goalies really recommend and prefer consistency and playing on like a consistent basis. So I don't know how all of that will balance out, but I I agree with what you all had to say. Like I think Frankie has done enough to earn himself at least more starts than the typical backup would get, and I think that that's good for both goalies and good for the Avalanche. And another thing that I think will be good for the Avalanche is if we actually get to see Alex Newhook play hockey, and he got a goal against the Carolina Hurricanes. He did have a little bit of a defensive lapse on one of their goals, but it seemed like that goal was kind of like his celebration. There was a lot of retribution in his action in that celebration. So Jackie, what do you think? uh, Do you think that that goal can go a long way towards his development? And do you think now, given the situation, he's going to get some actual time?
0: I felt like he was playing well before the goal. So it it was one of those situations where he was definitely rewarded. Um, That line looked like, Like, Cal was doing several good things last night, so it was kind of working for them, and hard to see in the analytics just because everybody was so bad as far as (laughs) from, and and part (laughs) of that is the way Carolina plays. Part of that is how they had to play Carolina, but so um, you can't really look too deep in the analytics there, but I felt like that line was fairly effective, so I think just that in general will help him move forward. But I think it was like a statement after <clears throat> all the stories about for sure. the meeting with Bednar and everything. And then he comes out, has a good game, scores a goal. It like, that's going to make anybody feel good. Right. right. So it, it can only help moving forward.
1: Do you think that Bednar was calculated in his open criticism of new hook? And cause you said, you know, it probably felt good for him to kind of throw it in the face of the naysayers um do you think that well, that was a part of the rhetoric from bednar
0: I think well you ha- I really like listening to the pressers because it really depends like did he offer the information or was, was he, he asked yeah. the question so I think he's been asked a lot about New Hook. I don't really think that Benner was trying to throw him under the bus. he really doesn't like to throw his players under the bus so I think it was part of him being honest mm-hmm. and um and I think he has given some tough love, especially, like, Cowton. Like, he feels certain guys do better with tough love. Other guys probably um, respond less to criticism. So, um, yes and no. I think he was just being honest more than really trying to put it out there publicly. But I, I do think that his approach is more to help guys rather than, like, doghouse them. Like, within a game, things happen. But he's not going to like scratch New Hook or you know do things that are even more drastic than that. yeah,
1: i I like what I'm worried about when I look at the New Hook situation is what we have seen come to life in the Tyson Joe story, which I think New Hook is more predisposed in terms of ability to stick around in the league. I just worry similarly to Jost if he has a two sided enough game to stick around and be a consistent guy. And I think it's not a matter of if he can, it's a matter of navigating this very important time for his development in the right way in order to help him become the impactful player that the avalanche want him to be. And so Evan, maybe that's a good segue. We saw you posted, and I think it was Elliot Friedman who dropped the news that Tyson Jost has hit the waiver wire Uh, Minnesota has waived him, uh, and and I think in your tweet you said, uh, "Should we bring him back?" Something to that extent. What do you think about that? I think you mentioned earlier you're kind of in the minority. You 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 like you like you some Tyson Jost, huh?
2: Yeah, um, I think a homecoming reunion with a fan favorite would be obviously cool and great. Um, But you do have to look at his stats. You do have to look at how you know, how he's done this season in Minnesota, it's obviously far from ideal, especially if you're getting, you know, wavered on a $2 million a year contract. So um, while I wish the Avs would bring him back, I don't think that they will mm-hmm. um, simply because of that contract. But um, I mean, playing are playing armchair GM here. Um, <laughs> the, the Avs are injured to Hallen back <laughs> and it would be nice to have at least, some form of um i guess kind of continued continuity um you know that they had with Jost, um kind of towards the end of the end of his time in colorado with him you know being here in the lineup um and you know having him back in the locker room i think would be, would be nice with especially some of the older guys like eric johnson you know having a familiar face around um but i think don't put him up any higher than the third line right. um even after players come back from from injury like you know he's not going to get up there into that top six um, and he'll be he'll he'll stay in that in that bottom in that bottom six I mean anything better than you know Bleed or Megna or Maltsev or whoever else the are going to rotate around in the next you know few weeks while, while players are still hurt um, so I don't, I don't think it would hurt, but I just don't think it's going to happen. Unfortunately.
1: Yeah. I feel like the only thing that really is holding him back is that contract. Cause if, if it were at a more affordable rate, you're right. Anybody else that you could put up as a, as a comparison or replacement, you're like, well, just he's more familiar. It's it's perfect. Um, mm-hmm. but the thing and I, that I wonder about is if that cap hit can be swallowable based on who's headed to the LTIR and, um, you know the avs where they're struggling is on the penalty kill and that really is where joe's made his bread and butter at least here in colorado was on the penalty kill um jacob do you think that he's good enough there to be valuable enough that the cap hit makes sense or is that still not enough for you
3: no um <laughs> i mean the you know the i think that as bad as the offensive depth, of the, you know, at forward has has seemed at times, defense is so much worse. Yeah. And you know, I mean, Andreas Englund, like last night, you go, know, what the heck are Damn, you doing? near lost man? a goalie.
5: <laughs> uh and england so, like,
3: <laughs> you know you look at it from an opportunity cost standpoint you know on the penalty kill would tyson Joseph be a big upgrade on like a mikhail Maltzev or you know any pick a name out of, the, out of the hat out of the bottom six you know versus what like a veteran defenseman could do coming in to you know upgrade against england and so like with their limited cap space to me it, it just it's kind of nuts to try to patch the forwards right now given how you know big an issue defense is and how just thin everything looks you know past the the top six because even if they get healthy this issue is still going to persist because curtis mcdermott is your seventh defenseman and so you know in, in my mind that that little cap space that they have left it should go back to to shoring up the defense and you know, you just hope that the penalty kill can get it together. Everybody who comes here says it's there's always an adjustment period because they have a unique penalty kill and it's tough for new guys to figure out exactly what the cover coverages are. And so I think that you just kind of hope that you can string it together and around the new year, you know, hopefully they they figure it out. But no, I, I don't really have a whole lot of interest in in bringing back Tyson Jost. You know, if Minnesota's letting him go outright, they're not having a great year either. And if he can't help them in in their spot, you know, I don't know how much use he is to the abs
1: Yeah, and I think you're on to something too. Is like if PK's the problem defensive addressing defensive depth addresses that problem as well so because the less the less you have to play kale mccarr whatever 18 minutes a night you know the more likely you're going to be able and willing to put him on the pk which he's actually pretty valuable on the pk especially right now so Mm -hmm. ezra do you think too that like this tyson jose i put up a tweet that just came up almost 10 minutes after the news hit which is a digitally altered photograph I think it's from the movie Mars with Ben Affleck or some guy some guy Um, (laughs) but they put Joe's face in there and he's in an astronaut suit and it says bring him home so the fans are running with this but are you in the same party as I think the rest of us is that's just not very realistic right now
4: I mean, yeah, I think cap hit wise, it's not very realistic and I'm not even sure that p- penalty killing is really the biggest problem that the abs need to solve right now anyway. So uh, I don't know that his he's the right fit. I do want him back, though. I think I think I think like it, it's so hard for for a team to find somebody who can fit into a system in the middle of the season smoothly. And he's a guy who absolutely could because he, you know, uh, he's he learned it. Yeah. He's he, he, he grew up in it. It's pretty much all um, he knows. And another possible reason to do it, which I, again, I don't think they're going to because of the cap hit, but another possible reason to do it would be if he has a little bit of a redemption arc, he's another, he's a possible trade piece to get a defenseman, you know, shoring up the defensive death is a priority, but you're not going to find a value, a usable NHL defenseman on the waiver wire very often. And this is a potentially very usable forward that you could maybe use in a trade or freeze up somebody like a, uh, uh, a Bowers or even a count to be more of an option as a trade piece to get a defenseman. That's
1: a good point. So it, That's a good point. Does anybody have anything to say about that, Jackie? What do you think of that?
0: I think uh, if Joe does end up somewhere else, it will be after he clears and Minnesota can retain, and then, <clears throat> then he's a $1 million cap hit, which could be a lot more attractive to either the Abs or somebody else and that's about the same that they would save if they just buried him anyway. Right. So it really depends how motivated Minnesota is just to get get rid of him. I I know it's kind of harsh to say it like that, but um it just really depends on what their goal is with doing this. Like do they really want him in the AHL? It just that doesn't really seem like that's the end goal here either. So um I also don't think it will happen because that cap hit, but in that trade scenario, that could be something that works. I really do like the fam- familiarity angle, just because it's so hard to get somebody to come in that you know what you can get out of them, and I think there's value in that for the ABS. But as far as like the defenseman part, I do agree. Like that is where the depth gets really scary. Like there isn't even anything in the AHL either. So, <laughs> um, right on, right on. And the ABS don't like to be an LTIR. It's kind of like either you decide before the season starts that you have all these injuries or these people that don't play anymore. And then you just know that you're going to live in LTIR all year. But if you have chosen that you're not, then that's not something that where it's like, Oh, well now the abs have $8 million so they can just get whoever, because they don't want to stay in LTIR because they want to get guys like Landy yeah, back. That would mean not so, having
1: Landy back until the playoffs essentially.
0: Yeah. Hmm. So they really can't just go willy nilly with the cap spending, but I wish there was some way to have it work out because I, too, have done watching Bleed and Megna And yeah. um, it would be nice to just get some NHL players back because I do think he's an NHL player. And um, he would be an upgrade on this roster, but it's probably not looking likely.
1: It says right now that the Avs are sitting with $6.1 million in cap space, but you know that they're hoping hoping to weaponize that. And I imagine, ideally, that was money saved for 2C. Probably not money saved for a defender. But that might now be the more realistic uh, thing. Because you're going to get more value at $6 million for a defender, period. So, we'll see how it goes. It really all depends on the timeline for some of these guys with injuries, right? Especially with with these fringe moves. Because you can't do too much to move away from what your roster is actually supposed to look like without all of these injuries. So I think that it's it's one of those situations where, of course, you want to bring back Tyson Jost. Like, who can forget his grandpa crying in the stands when he saw his kid come skating out? You know, like, he's he's a fan he favorite. We love him. We love him around here. So, of course, you want him back, but – just like when we let him go, is it what's best for the team? Is it's what is it what's best for the franchise? Possibly not. And sometimes that's just the way things roll, and you're kind of just gonna have to kind of go with that. So we'll move on from that. That was actually pretty fun. I, I, uh, I didn't expect, to be honest with you, so many people to be on the side of bringing him back. Because I'll bring back the poll numbers here. It was pretty right down the middle. Fifty one percent to forty nine percent no. And I phrased it nicely. I put no thank you and yes please because I didn't want <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't want Josti to see the poll himself and be like, well dang, they set him up. So but yeah, I, I was surprised. Right. Are you guys surprised at all by that result?
0: I'd like to hear more about why the no's answer and if it's about the cap hit, then I totally agree. Like there's definitely the realistic angle, but as far as just like not wanting him on the team, I'd like to hear a little bit more explanation on that end, but um... yeah.
4: Yeah. So let me, I mean, I know he was a disappointment. Like he didn't develop into the player that we wanted him to be or that fans wanted him to be, but like he was, he's a valuable fourth liner that uh, any team would want at a reasonable cap. And he's just a little overpaid right now.
1: Yeah. Most of the people, when I look at like the tweets, um, most of the people who actually had something to say said something in favor of getting him. I got a, this team desperately needs bottom nine reinforcements. We talked about that, but we think probably more defense. This one by Robert Bayless says, one year at two mil isn't that bad. He knows the system. With injuries, we need NHL talent. They don't have to give anything up. Once Landy is healthy, you can wave him again. That's... I mean, it's true. that's true. Somebody would have to pick him up, or you're on the hook for a million. Still, yeah, but, that's that's yeah. also the risk, right? And then you lose a million yeah. going into the trade deadline. So yeah, that's why ultimately they're not going to do it. Yeah, but it would be
4: nice.
0: Yeah, I am a fan of free. getting <laughs> yeah. somebody for free. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I do like that too. Yeah, like who yeah. whoever they're going to spend their last remaining fifth or fourth for at the trade deadline is. Are they going to be really that much better? True like I no. kind of like free.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, I mean, I think that that's ahead. the open question around Jost right now. Cause like, I, I think after last year learned that we've learned that the, the abs definitely want veterans on the bottom six, you know, c- come playoff time, like, you know, trading, trading Joseph for Nico Sturm, I think is as is, is big of a declaration of, of what the avalanche front office wants out of their, their playoff roster as, as it gets. And so I think that's kind of the the crux of the issue is that I think we're all expecting come the trade deadline, they're going to add, you know, so, some wily veterans to try to reinforce that bottom six. And, like, do they see Jost as part of, you know, that that solution? Can he play that, you know, hard-nosed veteran style that they're they're looking for in, like, an Andrew Cogliano or a Darren Helm type? But, you know, Jackie, I think you brought up a good point about, like, the opportunity costs. Like, you know, Tyson Jost for free versus, you know, some fourth-line veteran for a fourth or a fifth-round
1: pick, free is better.
4: Yes, Free is better. What's and I do phrase? think he can play that game.
1: Beer, you know? If beer is cold and free, it's always it always tastes better, right? <laughs> That's right. That's, yeah. Go ahead, Ezra, sorry. <laughs>
4: no, no, absolutely. I I, I was just agreeing. I, I think he can play that kind of game and I don't know, I just the more I think about it, the more I'm I'm like, just take the cap hit because they're already in LTIR. We don't really know what's going to happen with Darren Helm's recovery. It might be an even a one for one swap if Helm never is able to make it back or can't make it back to the playoffs or something. I don't know. Seems like it's seems like it's worth the risk in the short term. I think.
1: What What do you think it was about Minnesota that it just absolutely didn't work? Because he was thrown at one point when he played. I think the week before they played the Evs or even the game against the Evs. The game against the Avs. He, he played number fr- one center, on the top yeah. line. Yeah. So talk well, about he's
4: never going to be a top center, right? I he mean,
3: he had like a consistent role. I think that's kind of kind of the issue is yeah. that like yeah. you know, one year one year you're like oh he's a, he's he's a top six Minnesota's trying to play him at the, you know the number one center and then he gets dropped down to the bottom six and I, I feel like the, the story of his career is he's never really been able to get comfortable in like one specific role and he just bounced mm-hmm. around the whole lineup.
1: Right
4: he is a third or fourth line center. that's what he should play, and on Minnesota, he was tasked with being a number one center, a number three left wing, a number four right wing, and he he never
1: got to play the role that fits him
2: yeah that's... he was he was checked around everywhere, and that was the same here in Colorado. so yeah,
1: I think what was tough about him is he's always going to be held to his draft position, and yeah. I think his draft position he was probably overvalued and it had a lot to do with what we needed at the time and it had a lot less to do with whether or not he really fit his pick the number
4: i mean at the time he fit his pick he wasn't he 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 didn't develop right. right and that's you blame whoever you want to in the Az organization or tyson himself whatever but at the time of his draft he seemed like a good pick. Yeah, he was pretty solid
1: in the World Juniors for Canada. I remember that, like, heading into the draft. It was like, well, he was pretty good on a really good team. So...
0: Yeah. yeah, he yeah. broke some sort of record at the U18, I think. And <clears throat> um, maybe it was just difficult to judge the skill level because he was in the BCHL. <clears throat> I think ultimately that is what kind of led to his downfall. Mm-hmm. He just mm-hmm. never had the skill. Like, one reason why I'm not worried Newhook's going to be Jost is because Newhook already has shown he has a higher skill level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, he's already produced Way more. Ahead. He's already shown it at the NHL level and so and the concern definitely is still with him is finding that role like like you mentioned with Jost is just it, it seems like teams can never figure out where to place him and it is unfortunate because uh, fresh starts can really benefit a lot of players and it just didn't and I am a little surprised it went worse than it did with the abs but they were just so committed to him because of that draft slot and and Also the foot speed, like it's just really hard for him to play um, certain styles and it's hard for him to play in the bottom six when he really can't get on the four check and um, and play that speed game that like a lot of coaches like in their bottom six right now. So uh, I I think that's kind of what went wrong there, Mm -hmm. but it, it's hard to say like going back to the question about his, was he overdrafted? And That draft was also kind of weak Mm -hmm. in the middle. And I always feel like um, you never know if if they had picked somebody else, maybe it would have turned out better. But um, I think it was okay for where he was picked. It just was a matter of it just didn't translate. And and sometimes that happens. Yeah.
1: I think, yeah, that's really all it comes down to with the Tyson Jones story is his arc just flattened out as soon as he got into the bigs. And that's unfortunate. It happens to some guys. I think he does have the possibility of being a player who kind of just sticks around here and there along the AHL bubble. And then later on in his career, it kind of all comes together for him because of the experience he has. Um, Mm -hmm. Like a Darren Helm kind of guy. But I just feel like it's such – an unfortunate result for a guy that i don't know if i i'm speaking just for myself here but when we drafted tyson jost i was very excited i thought that he was going to be a core piece of the team heading into the future and that just hasn't hasn't been what it is and i think part of why we see graphics and and tweets and memes made like this one is that hype that came with him initially and we don't want to be wrong because we were all there <laughs> when <laughs> we were saying he could be the next next good center for colorado and that the center down the middle was looking incredible for colorado for the foreseeable future that ended mm-hmm. up being true but not on the back of tyson Jost unfortunately so mm-hmm. we'll move on yeah, i was on. gonna say you're, I... ab-
2: you're absolutely right about in terms of like the hype was there yeah and in... You know, look at where the Avs were in 2016. Right? The hype was there that, too. Yeah, that that dark time. Yeah, so. I think that's
0: also part of it that he was there from the beginning. That he w- he would have been part of that core five. You know, Confer and Miko and Landy yep. and EJ and McKinnon that were there since the beginning. Like he should have been one of those guys. Mm-hmm. So you feel for him to that degree, but then I also think like he got an over 300 game leash, and if it's guys like yeah. say Kaut got a 300 yeah. game leash. To see what they could be in that NHL level, that'd be great. So he definitely also benefited from uh, starting with the team at, at that point in their franchise.
1: Yeah, so... With the injuries, Cap
2: could get to 300. Who yeah, who knows?
0: Hopefully, like, might get
2: <laughs> in the next two years
1: if he stays at Colorado Avalanche. <laughs> that's
3: Yeah, that's true, too. Well, anyway, let's move <laughs> we'll on here. We that. got a.
1: We got a guest this week, which is my job every week. So if we don't have a guest, go ahead and at me on Twitter and tell me I'm not doing my job. (laughs) But this week we have from Defending Big D, the SB Nation site for the Dallas Stars. We have Wes Lawrence with us tonight. Wes, can you hear us? Can you hear us? Nice. Sounds like everything's working. Wes, are you there? (laughs) Uh oh! I love technical difficulties. Hey, like live this. live TV, right? You know, live TV. This is what what we're gonna do. While Wes is trying to figure out why, why we can y'all hear me? Here he is. Oh. There, he is. there he is. Yeah. Now no, it was foiled by the mute button. Oh. Oh. The, the amazing piece of technology that <laughs> didn't let my look. microphone work. You know what? That I think that's happened to all of us at least once. So <laughs> a rock and roll, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well. Wes, thank you so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate having you on. Uh, we've been talking Avs and Hurricanes and Tyson Jost this entire show, so it's nice to we'll mix it up and we'll start talking Avs and Dallas Stars. And I think I'm going to title this podcast uh, post-game article, Are the Dallas Stars the Avalanche Best Threat in the Division? Ooh. So we'll start with that, Wes. How do you see that? Do you, do you have an outlook? outlook excuse me for the Dallas Stars and how does that line up with winning the division
5: you know we were talking on our own stargazing podcast last night I'm waiting a week right Dallas has the Islanders twice against Colorado and I'm blanking on the other big name they've got a couple big games coming up this week there is a lot to like about the way Dallas is playing right now especially offensively Uh, getting Jake Ottinger back healthy has been a big deal but this is a team that has discipline issues. This is a team that does, for lack of a better word, dumb things sometimes. <laughs> and you know, it's uh, case in point: Brian Marchman or Brian Marchman, goodness, uh, <laughs> dating myself here. Mason Marchman had a chance to kill a game last night by not taking a retaliatory penalty, and and he did. Mm. And you know, they hung in there and they got the dub against Florida, but it was a objectively silly thing for him to do. So this team still has some questions to answer in terms of their execution. This team still has some questions to answer in terms of their defense. Uh, the Scott Wedgwood situation bears watching, but They've won a lot of games. They've banked a lot of points. Those things spend just as well as points late in the season. So you know, if they have another good week and take some of those games in hand that the likes of Colorado have chasing them and and convert those into points, then I don't think there's any reason not to see them as a a threat and a contender atop the Central Division.
1: Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that they do dumb things because I feel like you could say that about the Avalanche two or three years ago. Um, They would kind of let their ego creep into the game and that's what was so great about Nathan McKinnon's quote of there's no ego involved is because I think we all knew what he meant when he said that and a part of that I think is leadership and coaching and I think you know Jackie has a question about Pete DeBoer Jackie maybe you can take over from here
0: yeah I was just wondering um how how you feel DeBoer has changed the way the stars play um he seems to have a style that works well against the abs. So I am really interested to see how that looks in the coming week, but, or do you think he made that much of a difference or is it just kind of like that fresh start new coach sort of surge that a lot of teams experience?
5: Great question. And my answer is yes. So uh, <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of the new coach surge, right? Dallas is coming from a coach that prioritized whatever you do, don't make a mistake. And if something good happens, hey, bonus, but don't make a mistake. They're moving to a coach. And the best way that I could describe bonus's impact on the Dallas stars is watch them exit the zone. And every time the puck comes up and then goes backwards, right? They play it back to the trailing center, to the defenseman. Every time they reposition the puck in the defensive zone to find a lane out, that is a new wrinkle. For the most part, Rick Bonus's system prioritized if there's an exit, take it. If there's not, chip it and figure it out later. Right. In DeBoer's system, all of a sudden the puck comes up the wall and the team is comfortable. Hey, I don't have an outlet instead of chip and chase. I'm gonna bunt it back. I'm gonna play it in the middle. I'm gonna give it to somebody else and hope that's and, and look for some play to make. And so early season I think the team has really responded to those shackles being taken off right they still have the defensive identity that that Rick Bonus kind of drilled into them so there is still attention to detail but all of a sudden the players are being let uh, allowed to play a little bit more And I think as well, you can't really untangle it from, you know, Mason Marchment is a big upgrade in the middle six over what they had last season. Tyler Sagan has two functional legs and he's not, you know, necessarily capital T, capital S, first line center Tyler Sagan. But he's he's back to being an effective offensive. And it's sort of one of those cascading things where with those things all of a sudden jamie ben can anchor a strong third line all of a sudden tyler sagan is taking a little bit of the pressure off of the pavelski and sons unit so you're seeing some of this is jim nill's roster balancing at play Some of this is the team, I think, just breathing a little bit, not having to to work under such a laborious defensive system. And part of it is DeBoer's willingness to say, hey, we've got a really good goaltender. We've got an all-world defenseman. We can afford to make a couple more mistakes if that tilts the offense in our advantage. And so far, that has largely paid off this season. This team is better when it's changing chances a little bit versus keeping everything to a minimum and hoping something shakes out.
1: That's that's interesting because I think the like stay-at-homeness of Dallas in the past is what kind of neutralized Colorado's speed in that matchup. And now you're basically telling me that it's game on and that there we want to we want to <laughs> exchange chances which should make for some incredibly entertaining games it should games. right
5: yeah. and and it's the ch- again it's the change of the roster last season in, in previous meetings Dallas had and this this goes back you know it's the Pavelski era it's the Sagan Ben Radulov era it's the Sagan Ben Spets era like this is a team that has predominantly been one elite line and lean on a checking unit to keep yep. things tight and that that's just not the roster composition anymore DeBoer likes to roll four lines everybody's expected to score a little bit there's not this identity of you know we've got we've got this you know Faxacomo and Cagliano are going to go out there and their job is to make sure nothing happens for you know almost 20 minutes <laughs> a night That that's not this team anymore right. and you know part of why I'm so interested about this week is we're going to get to see them go against, you know, Winnipeg has kind of flummoxed the stars, Colorado twice, the Islanders. Like we're going to get to see them play against some good teams. We had a glimpse last week. They played well against Tampa, took too many penalties and lost, played really well against Florida and, and some weirdness with injuries. And, and the way that game ended, it got closer than it needed to be, but at stretches they were playing them on, you know, playing the Panthers off the ice. So we we've seen some really good, We've also seen them lose 5-1 to, to Edmonton or sorry to Winnipeg. So like Jury Jury is very much still out yeah. on on the you know new look Dallas Stars.
1: Yeah, and a part of that new look Dallas Stars has been the uh, incredible performance of one player in particular uh Jason Robertson and I know Jacob has a question about that. So go ahead Jacob.
3: Yeah, I guess my you know my question kind of centers around what are reasonable expectations for Jason Robertson because I was just looking at his stats today. He's on pace for a 125-point season, which would have led the NHL last year by two points. And so like I know he had his breakout campaign last year with the 41 goals, but like what what's a reasonable expectation for Robertson this year? Is he one mm-hmm. of the best players in the NHL?
5: I think he is. And, and a couple things, right? He's he's interesting because he's a stat model breaker. He's never been bad at the NHL level since he caught on as a full-time player. He had 45 points in his first 51 games. He, had, he followed it up with 79 points in 74 games. He's got 26 points in 17 games. So the the tricky part about projecting Jason Robertson is we've never seen a prolonged slump. We've never seen a stretch where he's not driving play. So- Part of that is he's excellent, and part of that is we'll see. Like I, I see no reason, you know, nothing he's doing. Uh, you know, he's he's even skimming. He's shooting at sixteen percent this year, which is a drop versus last year. Um, you know, he's there's there's nothing about his performance right now that screams outlier. And I think part of that as well. So so one, I think it's it's anything's possible. Two is it's almost a shame because part of the 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 magic of Robertson is that that you know he hints and Pavelski have been so good as a unit and you know, Pavelski's timeless and, and the, the unsung hero, almost it's, it's old in you know, Dallas stars. And it's old Sergei Zubov disease. Like we're not realizing how good <laughs> Rupe Hintz is. Yeah. I mean, he is one of the best two way, you know, full ice centers in the entire league. And I think part of why Jason Robertson has been doing what he's doing is one, he's excellent. And two, he's playing beside a guy that is going to clean up his own zone, get the puck, lead the rush follow. Like there's, there's nothing that Hintz doesn't do which allows Jason Robertson to play to his ruthless strengths which is find space, get shots on net, right get those chances and and so he is in just the perfect position calibrated to his skills. He's he's a young player and I I mean I would not be surprised if he is in in the I think he's third as we're talking in NHL scoring and that might be appropriate given His age, his talent profile, the line he's on, the way the stars play—like there's nothing really to that. He—he like I said, he's he's not on a PDO bender. He's not shooting, you know, thirty percent. Like watch his goals; it's it's sustainable. So why not, right?
1: Yeah, and if you guys can, if he can sustain that sort of success, and if Mira Heiskanen can sustain his success, those are two young. Really young pieces to build around, and I think Ezra has a question to you know a little bit further on your young defensive depth. So go ahead, Ezra. Yeah,
4: yeah, absolutely. I mean, Heiskanen, we know uh, Heiskanen, we know the the hype, and we know how uh, excited to be about his future. Um, but you also have Nils Lundqvist and some other young guys in the AHL. What are your uh, what's your outlook on the the future of the Dallas defense group?
5: Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. So Lunquist is fascinating because he came in relatively late in the offseason. And in Dallas, you know, Thomas Harley was largely expected to step into the young, emerging, right-handed defenseman that finally gets Haskin and onto a strong side role. And mm-hmm. despite, you know, not being with the team for for a lot of the offseason, Lundquist kind of came in and made that spot his own. And then we got, uh, you know, there was a three game absence. H- Haskin was dealing with an upper body injury. So we got a little glimpse of the team without Haskin and with Lundquist. And it's very promising. He's not, I mean, Haskin is almost a point of game, right? So Lundquist is much more <laughs> modest than that, but you know, it's, it's provided balance, you know, right-hand, left-hand balance that Dallas has not had since Stephen Johns got hurt. Um, it's given them the ability to move the puck out of the zone. We we have a running joke that Esalen Dell is fantastic at everything except for his outlet pass. It's a, a knee-high <laughs> screamer off the boards, right? So, you know, one coming into the offseason, we were fine with Miro and there were questions about who else is going to be able to get the puck out of the zone. And, you know, it was disappointing that, that Harley didn't kind of make that spot his, but Conversely, Lundqvist has stepped in, and, and he's fluid. He's able to skate with the puck. He's able to make an outlet pass. I wouldn't go so far as to say that, that Dallas's defense is, is an elite unit or the strength of its team. Right? It's it's. I mean, Miro is he's all world, but mm-hmm. it's it's mostly it's it's a workman like group. It's a group that that is more in the won't get you killed category versus the stamp its influence on a game. But with the forwards they have, uh, and with the goaltender they have if you have Miro Haskinen and five guys that won't get you killed, you're a very, very dangerous unit. And that's not a bad spot to be in.
4: Yeah. That lines up. Yeah. It's almost like uh, Winnipeg when they had Bufflin and they didn't just have nobody on defense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, that was a great team.
5: So. And the thing with Miro is he's such a cheat code. He will literally, he, he'll lead the rush and be the first one on the back check there's just nothing it, it's it's one of those things he's he is boring in his greatness yeah. because nothing he does looks difficult and yet it's things that that there are you know single digit other players in the league are capable of doing he he is just amazing and that does a lot for the rest. Of, you know, that does a lot for the rest of the unit. You can just kind of hit the mirror button and get out of trouble a couple of times a game. And that's, that's a big deal.
1: Yeah. He's a big part of the, the won't get you killed aspect of that yeah. defense, like you mentioned. <laughs> and I think like, it's cool that you, I'm really excited by this conversation because I'm learning about the stars in a way that I hadn't really acknowledged in terms of the way they've changed. Um, you mentioned that They're going to be more of a back and forth kind of squad. And I think you can do that because specifically because you have a goaltender like Ottinger. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know Evan has a question that's a little more in depth about the goalie situation in Dallas. Go ahead.
2: Yeah. I was more interested in obviously Wedgwood's um, really bad bad injury that he suffered last night with his back. I don't know if you had any updates with that um, and how worried you are about that, even though Ottinger is back healthy now and, (laughs) You know, he's been on a torrid pace to start the year despite his injury, you know, are you worried if he gets injured again because i mean who all is left right yeah. is bishop so, still around or
5: <laughs> the first the first is the good news and that um despite you know 9 minutes on the ice and being taken off in a stretcher wedgewood did not wind up at a hospital last night he got to the locker room he was evaluated on site there is no word yet about what's hurt or its impact on scott wedgewood the player but the good news is it looks like They've, it looks like he's avoided, you know, back stuff is scary. Backboard stuff is scary. And it looks like he's avoided anything that is, you know, impacting to Scott with the person, but we don't have a lot of information yet about what it's going to do to Scott with the player. Uh, And it puts Dallas in an interesting situation. So Ottinger, exactly. Like you said, our, our big question heading into this season was he looked fantastic at the end of last year and in the Calgary series. And we were all worried, you know, was the Calgary series an outlier and then he came into the season and he's been better statistically than he was in the Calgary series. So, you know, challenge, challenge accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, had a lower body injury, he's back, you know, nothing, nothing is lingering apparently. The issue Dallas has is that Anton Hudobin, um, he's played much better lately in the AHL with the Texas Stars, but they don't have the cap space to carry him and Ottinger. So they've been relying on the other Matt Murray. Uh, who is is uh, oh, that's right uh, who is playing well at the AHL level um so the 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 question is if if Ottinger goes down for any prolonged amount of time and Wedgwood is also down then Dallas is effectively at that point they would have the space to to bring Hudobin back up so it's it's sort of can he shake off a two year kind of injury slash age induced slump to carry the mail or does the other Matt Murray have the you know Kind of accelerate his, you know, he looks very well like he could project to a backup at the NHL level, a, a guy that can play at the NHL level. So he'll either have to shave some years off of his developmental trajectory, or Hudobin, who has said has been better lately, will have to not be, uh, you know, that'll that'll have that change that improvement will have to stick, or who knows, right? But uh, all this to say, Ottinger is the linchpin there. Even even with Wedgwood healthy, he's been great as a backup in stretches, but. This is not a team built on its defense. This is not a team built to support its goaltender. If if they don't have Ottinger for a prolonged stretch of time, it is a gruesome situation. It's not something that the Stars fans are are very excited about.
1: The other Matt Murray, I think that belongs... That belongs on his, every graphic if he does get a lot of playing time. They can't Razor's just razor puts
5: Matt it. It's legend, not it's Matt not Murray. it's it's not that
1: Matt Murray, it's the
5: Matt Murray. <laughs> the Matt, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so, to could be
0: the uh, better Matt yeah, Murray. Yeah, he go, might be at this point. Go. He's
5: been the thing about it, he has been very good. He he joined the Texas Stars, I believe, at the end of last season. He's been quite good. Yeah. And um, you know, he's he's kind of given them some improved organizational depth. And we're just gonna have to see. What we were hoping to wait a little bit longer to see what he is at the NHL level, and maybe we'll still get that chance. But as of right now, we don't we don't know yet what the impact of Wedgwood's injury last night is going to be in, in the short, middle, or long term.
1: All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on that situation, and I guess we'll find out in the next week just how evenly matched the Dallas Stars and Colorado Avalanche are. Wes, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we got wes lawrence of defending big d sb nations everything for dallas stars he's also one of the talents on stargazing it's a put uh, excuse me a podcast dedicated to the stars you guys are on episode 188 you're featured yeah, in man. our fifth so congratulations <laughs> we hope to be you one day <laughs> we, uh... yeah
0: something to aspire that's to right. for sure
1: that's right absolutely it's... It's
5: been a run. It's been exciting. You know, the, 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 the bubble run helped get the excitement up, but it's, it's been good. Thank you guys for having me. I I'm a, you know, long time stars fan since they moved to the Metroplex. So anytime I get to talk stars abs, it, it evokes both painful and fond memories. <laughs> yeah, um, so really appreciate yeah. it. Well, the,
1: the same goes for our yeah. end of that discussion as well. And that just means we've been fans of two really good teams. So thank you, right. Wes. We look forward to having you on again sometime. You have a good night. Y'all as well. Thank you. that was that was very interesting uh a very interesting conversation at least from my point of view because i i didn't really peg dallas as a team that would change all that much based on a coaching change and it sounds like if i'm being honest like that's more suited towards the avalanche having success against dallas at least in my mind we'll see if the proof is in the pudding um jackie what do you think about that do you think that's true
0: well i normally i would but the DeBoer thing with yeah you know we're familiar yeah. with him from the sharks and from vegas uh seems to have a system that can disrupt the abs Now i know this is regular season and it's not going to be heavy heavily game planned but it is a division game there's two games within a week so that will be sort of like an interesting chess match um it's interesting the thing about getting rid of bonus <clears throat> because he was considered so old school and and uh, like a lot of the changes refreshed Dallas. But then how was he having success in Winnipeg? Yeah. So I guess that's a question for <laughs> for a Winnipeg guest because how did more of that old school approach uh, rejuvenate them? And I'm I'm not really sure about that. But as far bone. as like <laughs> sorry. <Go ahead. laughs> just as far as having more wide open game against Dallas i guess that could be more entertaining i we'll, we'll see how that works out yeah i
1: wonder like if that's a personnel thing because like it seemed like the the most focused on thing in Dallas in terms of a problem was like the lack of production from Jamie Benn and Sagan in particular and i wonder if it's just that Despite Jamie Benn looking like an oaf of a human being half the time he's on the ice, he probably is more suited to play from behind the net into the front, into the slot and in a more open-ended style of a game than a shutdown game. Do you think that's true, Ezra?
4: I think that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm looking at the stats now, and Jamie Benn's put up some good numbers this year, mostly on the power play. Um, but I do think like the big thing for Dallas bouncing back – uh, in an offensive way and, and, and moving uh, uh, towards a, a more modern game, I think is Sagan's recovery and the emergence of young players like Wyatt Johnston and uh, Dennis Gurianov, who were not given opportunities under bonus because he was doing that. Like I can't handle young players mistakes kind of thing that old, old coaches tend to do uh, uh, not just old coaches, but you know, uh, we've seen it with bed. The too, traditional but,
1: you know, approach. The <laughs>
4: coach. Yeah. And then I, th- I wanted to to go back to what Jackie was saying about Winnipeg really quick. I think, uh, it's a similar, like it's similar rationale for why it works in Winnipeg because Winnipeg is like a bunch of old guys yeah. <laughs> who needed somebody to come <laughs> in and just be like, Hey, play a system yeah. and not, and not somebody who was kind of, uh, tired of doing that in Paul Maurice. So <laughs> I could see so that. I, yeah. I, it, it makes sense that it works up there.
2: And and bonus wasn't even behind the bench anyways, for like the first few weeks of the season. Anyway, but, That's with true. COVID. So. Maybe that maybe that'll do it. We'll see. We'll see how he yeah.
1: is. If when they he's get fully behind the bench. Yeah, <laughs> Jacob. They he seemed to think that Robertson. He's. I mean, according to him, like we should all go put a bet on Robertson to be the point getter in the season. I know, right? Because uh, <laughs> I mean, even looking at his stat lines, like he has just about as many goals as he has assists too. So, like, if he stayed on this pace, we're talking fifty some goals. Um, I don't. I mean. I think the kid's really good, but I don't see him being a fifty plus goal scorer this year, do you?
3: Yeah, I mean like the goal scoring is is a little tough to figure out. I mean he scored forty-one last year so and so possible. like he's yeah. he's clearly showed himself to be a you know a big time goal scorer. My you know, my question was more like he's clearly kind of that, that like secondary star level where you're, you know, you never put him in like the Austin Matthews, you know, Ken McCarr, Connor McDavid tier uh, of superstars. And so that's kind of what my question was getting at is like, can he graduate into that top tier of like true top stars? And so, you know, we'll see, he's a big guy, you know, he skates well, he, you know, like Wes was saying, he shows up in, in all the right spots. he's He's got a game that's very consistent. And I think that, you know, really he's, he kind of shows, the value of having like a, a true top line. You know, it's it's easy to say like, oh, having good players is a good thing. But when you have like an actual number one line that, like they have with Robertson and, and Hints everything beneath that falls into place so much easier and now all of a sudden you know not having Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan be you know not superstars is not as big of a, an issue as it seemed seemed a year ago because now they've got guys who can who can go and pick up the slack and so you know Dallas is, is going to be a real interesting team to watch because if this top line can you know continue to be what what they've been so far which is one of the you know five best lines in the NHL then, yeah I think absolutely you got you gotta put them in the top tier of western contenders yeah,
1: i'd agree with that and and if they're in the top tier of western contenders, then they're competing for the division title. There's no way around yep. that, yeah, so and I think that's honestly good for the avalanche in the in the short term and in the long term, because like I think if this regular season took on the shape of last, which was that we kind of just breezed through it and got our home ice advantage, I think there would be less emotion less pride evoked from the guys just naturally i think obviously they're pros they know how to get up for a game but when you're playing for a division title and you haven't done that in three years that's that's a fun thing to go after those are fun games when you're in in gonna play that team again two or three times later on in the year that's fun stuff so you know yeah, that's
0: we'll see it, it does get stressful yeah, <laughs> yeah. we're not used to it the, the fan yeah. base isn't used to it um
1: yeah check i think the heart it helps
0: rates. that that Nobody's really running away with the division. Like it, in the three other ones, there's a team with like 28 or so points. Right. And in our division, there isn't. So it's definitely tighter. But I agree with you that having something to play for, it might bring out the competitive fire in the team a little bit more. Maybe that's what they need.
1: Yeah. And especially like the guys who have accomplished in my mind, like not to be too I don't know, reductive of success or like what he could do and still has in front of him. But look at Cale McCarr. He's won every award he could have won for the last three years in that same time frame. So it's like, there's really not a lot for him to any, not very many boxes for him to check that are in like the immediate future. Like we're already talking about how he's going to impact the game on a career basis, you know, like, where will his numbers land when he's about to retire? And speaking of that great segue, I love it when this happens. So we play, we play Dallas on Monday, but we play somebody who's chasing a lifetime accomplishment of his own in Alec Ovechkin tomorrow night. How interested are you are the four of you in his pursuit of the goal record, and how likely do you think it is that he accomplishes that goal?
2: i mean it's exciting well it's exciting we'll i'm on the edge of whether or not he'll get there or not okay on the edge okay that's where i'm at jackie what about you? sorry jackie
0: oh no it's okay i was just gonna jump in first i was gonna say i think it's really cool it's interesting i don't follow it obviously like a capitals fan would and he's not close enough where i think the general public's really like sitting on the edge of their seats like it's going to be a couple years yeah I think he'll get there though I think he's determined he's been healthy enough he just has just such a special shot and knack for goal scoring that I think he he is going to be the guy that that makes history and and sets the record so I think it'll be really interesting when it happens it's just far enough away that you're not really thinking about it but um I've had the pleasure of seeing him live and it's always cool seeing a legend like that. So yeah, um, I never really th- thought about that in context of like playing tomorrow night about Ovechkin, but um, for sure, like it's always a treat to to play against one of those players.
1: I think inevitably, just like what I'm talking about with Kale and like playing the next game might be harder than finishing his career in terms of the thought process. Like Ovechkin, when the when when because I, I think he'll do it. I think when he does do it, we'll be able to go like back to the time you saw him oh well i saw him on this day and he scored i wonder what goal that was and then i think it'll be a little more important but i think you're right like right now no one's like ovechkin's coming to town and he's gonna break the record in two years so we better go watch (laughs) yeah and
0: the abs have done a pretty good job defending him like they've shut him down on that power play pretty good so it's one it of doesn't feel like oh man he's gonna get a couple on us yeah. you know
1: that's so weird say, to me so, that so he, as he as just does know. that over and over and over and over again and like he must be special because you know it's coming and you still can't stop it
0: <laughs> they just don't let the pass get over there mckinnon McKinnon, <laughs> that's has a their little, strategy. mckinnon
1: has a little bit of that going too right he does not spot.
0: have that goal no. scoring ability. <laughs> he wants it. He wants it bad. He yeah. he goes yeah, from the I'm same good. spot. He goes. Mm-hmm. From- I mean, Miko's a better goal scorer on the yeah, team. I'd let's just be, be honest. <laughs> I yeah, can't I wait that... for
4: Landeskog to be back so he can take the, the spot down low on the power play and we can get back to feeding Rantanen's one-timer. Yeah. This is great. What they're doing right now is ridiculous. Yeah, it's <laughs> it crazy. It's
1: absolutely crazy. Uh,
3: I mean, I think that, you know, the the McKinnon comparison, I think, highlights, like, what makes this most interesting is if you just go and you look at, you know, the all-time goal scorers list, there's n- – this isn't going to be a, a thing. You know, as soon as Ovechkin is gone, there's nobody left on yeah. on this list who could make this chase, you know, the. Next active player is is Sidney Crosby. He's got almost 250 less goals yeah. than Alex Ovechkin has. Like that's crazy. you know this this is a, an interesting chase, in that the you know the next likeliest guy who could get this record is probably somebody like austin matthews yeah, and yeah. So, like we're we're talking literal decades before this this becomes a, a real chase again and so like in that sense I, I think it's important to kind of take stock of just kind of the, the cool history that we're watching
1: with Ovechkin. that's crazy so you're saying he's 250 goals in front of crosby who's probably next closest but crosby yeah, and him Crosby's are like neck and they're neck and neck in points though in career yeah. points, isn't that wild?
0: Yeah, just such different players. That's, that's just, that just so goes different. to show
1: you that there's a million ways to skin a cat. You're gonna end up you know, a hall of fame one way or another if you end up with that point total. That's crazy. I, I there's didn't two ways in this case. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, two, <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, that's yeah. That's I, my thing with Ovechkin is it's like ever even the mom, from the moment he came into the league till now he's been the best scorer in the league. As soon as he leaves. That will probably be Austin Matthews, like you said. I think just based on scoring oh, touch yeah, think, alone, yeah. Um, yeah.
4: Mc, McDavid's coming. Mc for it this year. McDavid's,
1: McDavid's, yeah. yeah. I think McDavid might be the point guy that we see some crazy point yeah, totals. Yeah, for sure. Yeah,
4: he's just he's scoring a lot of goals right now. All yeah. right. So before Govers I let
1: you guys go, sure. we have about two minutes left. So my favorite part of the show is the bold predictions of the week. so and jackie has been the mvp of this segment so far this (laughs) year so we'll give her the honor jackie your bold prediction this week
0: oh goodness we'll see i none of my predictions came true from last week so i gotta redeem myself um kale gets his hat trick
1: oh i like that one one. i like that one okay so what do you think you think that's coming against the, which one which team
0: oh that's tough to say i will not make you vancouver yeah I'm
2: all, there you go i like that one hey man. i would love it i'm gonna be in the building oh so that's now?
0: cool
1: there you go
0: it usually is games you don't expect yeah it, it is but um he did come close so actually all of them came close right? i was disappointed there was no hat trick and...
1: all right ezra but, um... your turn what's your bold prediction
4: Okay, not necessarily for the Avalanche, but Tyson Joe scores a goal this
1: week in the NHL. Oh! I was,
0: I was going to say, does Iowa count? <laughs> no, no. In the NHL.
1: In the NHL. NHL only. I love that one. I really like <laughs> okay. that Okay, that's a good one. All right, I'll do mine, my, mine real quick. My bold prediction is that both Fran Kuz, since I love screwing that up, and Gorgiev will get a shutout this week. Ooh, wow! Double goalie okay. shutout. Okay. Woof. Yeah, I like it. Jacob, your turn. All right, I'll go. I'll go. Good news, bad bad news. Okay. Well, bad
3: news, is good news. Okay. First, I I think that Dallas probably takes it to them on Monday. That's that's you know their biggest game of the season. That's the game that Dallas has been kind of you know building everything up to. And I I think that they probably come out a little stronger than the Abs do. Get them down early, mm-hmm. and you know it's like a five to two kind of loss for the abs where We're all kind of wondering what happens. And then on Saturday when they come to Denver, I think the to take care of business and get revenge.
1: Ooh, I like that. I like it. I like it. Saturday dub in Denver. All right. Or, yeah, I love it. I love it. All right, Evan, we'll, we'll end it with the managing editor. So you can't screw oh. it up. If you screw it up, then then <laughs> we're going to give the job to Ezra. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't
2: have time for this. <laughs> yeah, my my one last week got cut short because Curtis McDermott got hurt. So that's kind oh, of that wasn't your bold but prediction.
1: You, no, you jinxed uh, him. Hey, don't be making bold I, predictions about any of the su- superstars. Ooh. All right, <laughs>
2: none, none of this. Su- okay, great. I wasn't going to go down the superstar great. route anyway. Uh, I was gonna say that Martin Cout will score two goals this week.
0: Ooh, Ooh, wow, that'd love be it. lovely.
2: I think I He's think playing well. he really is. I think one. I think one will be against the Caps tomorrow night, and then I'm gonna go against the Canucks next Ooh, Wednesday. Because you
1: want to see that second one, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 All right, you guys are the best. Thank you so much for coming on with me as usual. I'm Adrian here with Evan, Ezra, Jackie, and Jacob. This is. The Mile High Hockey Lab, our fifth episode. Today we had Wes Lawrence of Defending Big D. um, And we talked all things Dallas Stars v Colorado Avalanche. That was pretty fun. If you liked it, please be sure to subscribe and follow us on whatever social media platform. Um, head on over to milehighhockey.com for any of your latest and greatest Colorado Avalanche news, and be sure to subscribe and follow on whatever listening platform you choose. All of these broadcasts are available the following day on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, and Megaphone by Spotify. Again, I'm Adrian, and for everybody here at milehighhockey.com, go Avalanche. You folks have a great night. Bye-bye. Mile High Hockey Live mile high hockey be map mile, be mile, be mile.